Hello, and welcome to another episode of Facts Matter, brought to you by the Citizens Research Council of Michigan. I'm here today with Dr. Esmond Isaac Osman. Dr. Esmond, how are you? I'm doing well, Monique. How are you? I'm well, thank you so much. And I'm excited to talk to you today about the report that you just released um, analyzing the fiscal 2023 City of Detroit budget. Um, a couple of questions about it. And I'm sure our listeners will love to understand some of the key points about it. What is the basis of writing this report? What are some some main points that you want to give to our listeners right away? Yeah, absolutely. So um, on April 21st, uh, the city of Detroit, uh, officials of the city of Detroit approved a budget for fiscal year 2023 that begins July 1st. Uh, the overall $2.5 billion budget that the city has approved is a balanced budget, which is great news for the city. Um, and out of that $2.5 billion, $1.2 billion comes from the discretionary general fund. So this marks a nearly 5% increase compared to the current year budget. Um, and this fiscal year 2023 budget has been lauded as a return to normal spending plan as the economic impacts of the pandemic wind down. Um, and so, you know, this is this is good news. Um, the, the budget makes targeted investments in key areas of the city, such as beautification, transit, city reserves, and, and preparing for pension funds that are set to resume in 2024. Uh, so, uh, we are looking at a balanced budget for this upcoming fiscal year 2023 budget, and that is uh, that is good news for the city. That certainly is good news. And when you mentioned the point of the city having a return to normal spending plan, what is that? What does that look like? Well, the the return to normal spending plan is essentially stating that this is this is a this is a status quo budget. It's restoring the pre-pandemic status quo, and this budget manages risks with contributions that have been made to reserves and implementing spending restraint um, restraints. So when the pandemic struck, the mayor outlined nearly $350 million in pandemic-related spending cuts to maintain a balanced budget without laying off any full-time city employees. And since then, the city has seen revenue growth beyond initial projections and have appropriated funds in this new fiscal year 20, 2023 budget, which are set to restore all pandemic related budget cuts. And let's talk a little bit about how the fiscal year 2023 budget is a reflection of the city's revenue outlook, um, especially following the last two challenging fiscal years caused by the pandemic. Um, the city actually received um, some ARPA funds, um, $826 million to be exact, and Federal American Rescue Plan Act funds. Um, can you talk a little bit about how these funds help to add stability um, to the city's budget and financial standing and what, what these funds mean for the future of the budget? Absolutely. So um, uh, the fiscal year 2023 budget is a reflection of the city's revenue outlook. Um, and what that means is that recurring city revenues that make up the city's general fund are forecasted to exceed pre-pandemic levels. Now, just a little bit of clarity of, of what 
this city's general fund is and, and what these funds are, just to give a little bit of context for listeners. So the city's budget is composed of various funds. Uh, the general fund is the primary discretionary operating fund and supports much of the city's core services, including several of the city's primary services, such as police, fire, parking, public works, and community and youth services. Um, other funds that make up that total budget, that total $2.5 million budget, uh, include enterprise funds, grant funds, and various other restricted funds. So revenue from these funds are generally earmarked for specific purposes. Uh, grant funds are made up of a mix of funding sources from the federal and state government, as well as from other sources. Uh, enterprise funds account for business type activities where the intent is to recover in whole or in part the costs of providing goods or services through user charges. And restricted funds are used for activities such as paying off debt service or dealing with solid waste collection and disposal. Uh, some examples of restricted funds in the city include the Solid Waste Management Fund, the Urban Renewal Fund, and the Internal Service Fund. So pivoting back to how fiscal year 2023 budget, budget is a reflection of the city's revenue outlook, um, Recurring city revenues that make up the city's general fund are forecasted to exceed pre-pandemic levels. And that budget stabilization was aided largely by strong recovery in on-site casino wagering taxes and collections of new internet gaming and sports betting tax revenues. Um, also more favorable projections of remote work also bolstered the city revenues as municipal income tax collection estimates were higher than had previously been expected. So city revenues that make up the general fund are strong because of more favorable projections now being estimated for our municipal income tax and our casino wagering taxes, where we are not set to see Forecasters, economic forecasters are projecting that we're not gonna see as much remote work as was previously estimated. And um, in 2021, when the state implemented online sports betting and gaming, uh, that really was a saving grace for the city because it, it, it offset a lot of the revenue losses that the city saw from the casino being shut down and other pandemic related disruptions. So. That's why city revenues are strong and it places the city in a strong financial standing to be able to have a balanced budget and to be able to grow its budget in the way that it has um, from last year to this year. So let's talk about the ARPA funds. Uh, as you mentioned, the city of Detroit received $826 million in federal American Rescue Plan Act funds, also known as ARPA funds. Um, these ARPA funds add stability to the city's budget and financial standing by accelerating projects to improve the tax base and community well-being while preserving reserves and resources that would have otherwise been used to fund improvements and shortfalls in the budget. So none of the city's funds, ARPA funds, are being used as revenue replacement or for recurring expenses, which place the city in a good position 
to increase its annual budget. In addition to the funding increases that have been adopted into the general fund budget, uh, there are other one-time items. And the good news with that as well is the city has not used the ARPA fiscal recovery funds to directly support the city's annual general fund budget uh, in this fiscal year. So instead, ARPA funding has been designated as one-time spending that has been separate from the ordinary city budget. And so this is how these ARPA funds add stability to the city's budget rather than, than maintaining the city's budget, right? The city has not had to use this one-time money. The city has not had to use this ARPA money to, to, to replace any recurring expenses. Rather, it's just supplemental money that the city is using to be able to stabilize the money that the city does have and does use for recurring expenses. And as well, I actually want to ask you a question about that. Um, in your report, you mentioned how some of the ARPA funding has been used for beautification and just small things that um, were originally funded through the Housing and Revitalization Department. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the there there are various there are various one-time contributions, one-time spending items that are listed in the budget um, that provide that, like I mentioned, provide stability to the budget rather than acting as something that would replace expenses or revenues in the budget, right? Um, and so one, one example of this is the, is the money that has been allocated towards the Housing and Revitalization Department. Um, when we look at the budget, we see that the Housing and Revitalization Department is actually the only department or agency in the budget that, took, that, had, a, that had a budget cut. Um, but that is because the, the money that would initially go to the Housing Revitalization Department um, is, is, rather, is rather being conserved. Um, There's spending restraint being exercised with, with the recurring expenses that the Housing Revitalization Department would usually embark on, and rather ARPA money is being used for a lot of initiatives that would normally be carried out by the Housing and Revitalization Department. And so this is an example of how ARPA money is being used to stabilize the budget rather than to replace any recurring expenses. Um, and so um, the ARPA money uh, as city council and the mayor had, had agreed on one of the initiatives or one of the programming areas in which ARPA money is being spent is, is beautification projects, is, is home repair projects. Um, it, it, it's putting money aside for housing affordability. And these are normally programs that would be spent out of the housing revitalization department. But the reason why that we see a budget cut in the budget for this department is because there is already money that has been allocated through the ARPA funding to go towards these kind of projects. And so that is just an example of how 
you know, ARPA funding is acting as a stabilizing agent or mechanism for the budget and is, is, is working in tandem with the budget to place the city in a good financial standing. Well, thank you for that clarification. Um, I want to circle back really quickly. Um, you talk a lot about recovery from the pandem pandemic as it pertains specifically to jobs, right? Can you talk a little bit about how the composition of the overall work workforce has caused the city to adjust its projections? Um, what were some of the concerns initially about the tax revenue sustainability as it pertains to the workforce, um, blue collar workforce, um, service industry jobs, things like that? Yeah, so um, there were expected changes in the composition of the overall workforce that were that that were being estimated for the coming years. Um, and that had caused the city to adjust its projections for the amount of remote work that would take place. So contrary, contrary to previous projections, um, which had projected that there would be more remote work occurring in the city um, than anticipated, uh, this now signals a future that is more similar to the pre-pandemic pre-pandemic era, as more of the labor force will be composed of in-person work. Um, so a lot of that is based on um, economic growth and actions that were initiated before the pandemic. So big development projects, including the opening of the Stellantis Mac Avenue assembly plant, the retooling of the General Motors Factory Zero, construction of the Gordie Howe International Bridge, there's a lot of, of, of big development projects coming to the city that is going to bolster blue collar employment in the city. And this is one of the main reasons why now we are seeing the adjustments in remote work uh, coming about by economic forecasters is because a lot of the, a lot of the jobs that are coming to the city uh, and, and the job growth that we are seeing in the city, because not only are we seeing let, not only is there less remote work being projected, but there's employment growth also being projected. And it is because we are seeing jobs being created in blue, the blue collar industries and the lower educational attainment, uh, lower educational attainment service industry jobs. So these jobs tend to be jobs that can't be, that you can't work remotely, right? And so um, that is, driving a lot of the more favorable projections in terms of lower rates of remote work in the city. The trade-off is that, um, you know, the shift, the, the change and the trade-off between there being more blue collar jobs and more lower educational attainment service industry jobs versus white collar jobs is, is the trade-off in the fact that um, tax revenue is sustainable. So many lower educational attainment and blue collar industry jobs tend to be part-time or temporary, creating the potential for wage gaps and smaller income tax collections in the future. So while projections suggest a promising financial picture for the city's future and continued recovery of employment and wage gains, many of the new jobs coming to Detroit are temporary. And for income tax revenues to sustain their projected growth, the city will need to see more job growth in the higher educational attainment service industries, which include healthcare, finance, biotechnology, and public administration. 
these jobs tend to be just more permanent than jobs in lower educational attainment service sectors, which enhances long-term growth. So more opportunities in higher educational attainment service industries will increase the average wage gain in the city and create more sustainable jobs versus for the city's uh, economy. Um, you know, and so when thinking about the composition of the workforce and when thinking about how that impacts tax revenues, the short-term picture is that the city is, is growing in, in terms of job opportunities. And those job opportunities are primarily in blue collar service industries and lower educational attainment service industries. That is what is driving the more favorable projections of remote work because these jobs, you can't work remotely. And on, in the short term, that's a good thing because that means the city will be able to have higher income tax collections because income tax gets taxed differently for residents and non-residents. Um, on the flip side, looking long-term, because blue collar jobs and lower educational service industry jobs tend to be part-time or temporary, we run into this question of sustainability because what happens once these big projects are completed? Um, and you know, if we've learned anything from the COVID-19 pandemic, um, it can be very fickle. The, the low, lower service, lower educational attainment service industry jobs can be very vulnerable to economic disruptions. And so that is just something to monitor and consider. And of course, as you know, with every forecast, there are some risks that you know the city may take. Um, in the report, you outline some of those implications. And I wanted to you to just talk a little bit about what are some of the long-term risk and implications that the city may face when you look at the overall budget. Yeah, for sure. So the budget does face some significant revenue risks uh, that must be monitored, uh, and that is to avoid disrupting the current balance between ongoing revenues and expenses. Um, the balance between ongoing revenues and expenses is what determines whether a, a budget is balanced and determines whether a budget, whether the city is functioning in a deficit or a surplus. So these risks include slower than projected growth in general fund revenues, slower than anticipated employment and wage growth, the persistent of remote work models, economic impacts from changing workplace and consumer behavior, reductions in local funding from the state and federal government, additional COVID-19 variant related economic disruptions, inflation, the war in Ukraine and continued supply chain issues. Uh, in addition to these potential revenue risks, the city will have to resume annual contributions to its two pension funds from the general fund in fiscal year 2024. Um, and this is, if listeners remember the reprieve that the city got from having to pay its annual pension contributions was part of the 2014 plan of adjustment. So the city got a 10-year reprieve to essentially make a pause on, on uh, annual pension contributions that it is required to make um, as a part of the 2014 plan of adjustment bankruptcy agreement. Um, 
that reprieve is, is almost up. It ends in 2024 and the city will have to resume these annual contributions to its two pension funds. So the city will have to fund a substantial portion of the obligations for the general retirement system and the police and fire retirement system beginning next year. And this will impact the city's bottom line in a way that it has not since the 2014 bankruptcy agreement. Yeah, so just another question for you, Isma. Um, when you think about, or when you talk about, um, or just take a look at the Financial Review Commission and how they monitor um, the city budget, do you think that there will be any reason to reject the city's budget post-bankruptcy, or what are your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, so the Financial Review Commission, uh, for listeners, if they're not familiar with it, um, is just to give a just to give a little bit of context. The role of the Financial Review Commission, um, you know, Detroit's budget process is, is a little bit unique because it involves an extra step of review before the new fiscal year begins on July first. Usually, for other cities, uh, a mayor uh, will propose a budget. Uh, you know, city city council has time to or, or the legislature has time to look at that budget and, and provide amendments and, and then or changes and, and then that budget goes back to the to the executive, the mayor, and the mayor has the opportunity to either veto or approve the budget. Um, and if the mayor approves the budget, then the then then the budget is enacted and it would begin whenever the fiscal year begins for that city. Um, in Detroit's case, there is an extra step of review before the new fiscal year begins. Um, and this extra step of review is provided by the Financial Review Commission that was created in 2014 to monitor city compliance with the plan of adjustment, providing oversight of city financial activities. So the FRC, the Financial Review Commission is responsible for oversight of the city of Detroit, uh, the school, the school district for the city of Detroit, uh, the Detroit Public School Community District, um, and for each governmental entity, the Financial Review Commission ensures that it is meeting statutory requirements, review, reviewing their budgets, and establishing programs and requirements uh, to ensure prudent fiscal management. So the, the Financial Review Commission's oversight of the city is, is scheduled to last no less than 13 years. And as the city has met certain criteria, the nature of the Financial Review Commission's oversight has been scaled back. And so in 2018, the city of Detroit was relieved of direct state financial oversight from the FRC, from the Financial Review Commission, um, where in which the panel granted the city its first waiver of active oversight, marking the end of direct state oversight of Detroit's finances and management. Um, that, even, you know, even though, even though the city is no longer bound to direct state financial oversight from the Financial Review Commission, at any time during its tenure, active oversight could be reactivated should the city's finances sink back into the years of deficits that prompted the financial emergency in 2012. Right now, as it stands, um, I don't see any reason for the Financial Review Commission to, to act in this way or, 
or go back into having direct direct state financial oversight since 2018. Every year, uh, when the FRC reviews the city's budget uh, before it gets uh, before it gets enacted in, on July 1st, um, the FRC grants a waiver to the city, uh, and that is because the city's budgets have been balanced. It's because the city has been employing responsible fiscal practices to ensure that these budgets are well thought out, conservative, um, and, and balanced. And so I don't see any reason why um, the Financial Review Commission would be alarmed or would be or or would not grant another waiver um, this year. And actually on June 27th, that is when the Financial Review Commission is scheduled to consider granting the city a waiver um, for this fiscal year 2023 budget. And you know, from, from my estimations and, and from how I've been tracking uh, you know, this topic, um, I don't see any reason why the Financial Review Commission would not grant the city another waiver for this year. Well, that certainly sounds good, Esmond. And as we're wrapping up, is there anything that you would like to add additionally that we didn't touch on about your report? Any key takeaways, any facts? Yeah. So, so while this is all good, I, I also just want to point out that, um, that there is a budget gap in the city's future that should be, that should be, um, that there, there are two main takeaways. So uh, first takeaway is that the city is going to have to remain proactive to maintain balanced budgets in the near future. So Detroit's long-term baseline spending pressures are forecasted to outpace revenue growth in fiscal year 2027. Um, what that means is that, is that beginning in fiscal year 2027, annual revenues are expected to grow at about 1.8% per year, while annual expenses are expected to grow at about 2.5% per year. So, city would be spending more than it is making, right? And these are all based on baseline trends in known labor contract growths, pension contributions, debt service, and other factors. Now, with that being said, uh, without corrective actions you know, from the city, this will create a minor but sustained budget imbalance, which would start in fiscal year 2027, but um, it would require remedial action from the city to maintain fiscal balance. So that's the good news. Um, the other takeaway is that the city's rely reliance on one-time revenues does also present a question about long-term sustainability for the city. So much of the spending that is related to improvements in infrastructure, neighborhood beautification, and addressing equity issues rightly use one-time contributions. However, other programs like the Right to Council Ordinance that was just passed on May 10th and the Property Tax Over Assessment Program for Legacy Detroiters rely on one-time resources for programs that are intended to span many years. Um, the Right to Council Ordinance provides $6 million in federal COVID relief funds and relies on philanthropic partners to fund the program's first year. And as of now, there are no plans to sustain this program long-term. 
Um, there are other programs that use one-time revenue sources to fund services with needs that may extend beyond available resources. So that is all to say that while the spending might be necessary for the city's growth, it may prove to be unsustainable in the long run because the city's baseline revenues don't grow sufficiently to support the additional planned investments that the city is making now. Um, but you know, overall, the city is in a good place fiscally. The fiscal year 2023 budget is balanced and much of that can be credited to the city's fiscal practices and favorable revenue adjustments. Um, like I mentioned, there is little reason for the Financial Review Commission to reject the city's budget. However, structural budget problems must be monitored and considered for the city's long-term financial health to remain solid. And thank you for that, Esma. And just, just a little fun fact for our listeners. There is so much just quality, pertinent information in this report. What was the most enjoyable thing for you about preparing it? Man, the most enjoyable thing. Um, well, so I'm a policy nerd. And so, you know, what I constitute as enjoyable may not be enjoyable for, <laughs> for our general uh, listeners. But, I, you know, I think the most enjoyable part of it was being able to analyze trends of the city. So, you know, I, I looked at revenues and expenses dating all the way back to 2002. So over a span of 20 years, this is, you'll, if listeners go to this report and read this report, they'll, they'll be able to find that information and that data. And just to see, you know, just to get some context and perspective of where we were, how we got impacted during the time that we were going through bankruptcy and, and where we are now, um, that was probably the most enjoyable part of, of writing this report because you can tell from those trends, just looking at those charts, that the city is bouncing back, uh, that the city is doing better, and the city is implementing good practices to ensure that its financial health continues and maintains to be strong, um, which is a good reflection of of the quality of life that the city and leaders in the city and Detroiters are trying to provide Detroiters, old and new, right? Um, what I mean by old and new, old residents and new residents, like legacy residents and new residents that have just moved into the city. So there's a concerted effort to, to ensure that the city continues being on, the, uh, on a positive projected scale, uh, um, trajectory. And you can really see that through these charts um, and these trends that date back 20 years. And so for me, that was probably the most enjoyable part of writing this report and seeing and seeing where the city stands. And thank you so much, Dr. Esma Isaac Osmond, for sharing that with us and for sharing your work with us. Um, you all can follow him on Twitter at Esma Isaac Osmond. Um, you can also read the full report on our website, crcmish.org, and follow us on all social media to stay up there with what we have at crcmish. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, guys. Thank you.